there, banditos. It's that time of week again. It's Wednesday, it's hump day, it's comic book day, but as we like to call it, it's Dollar Bin Bandit Day. I am Joe Marcello. I'm Orrin Phillips. Mike Farrow. And we have a brand new show in store for you on this Wednesday, July 20th. Today, we're bringing you our interview with someone just like us. He was a fan who took his love for comics and turned it into a career, albeit he was way more successful than we are. Uh, we're talking to author, creator, artist, storyteller, Kwanzaa Asajifo. Yeah, I uh, was not, for, well, because, you know, I read old comics, so this was uh, dipping my toes into, uh, you know, a little more modern stuff. But hearing what he had to say, hearing his process and uh, how he just puts these books together and the stories, it was really so interesting. And uh, what a what a talented guy. Uh, yeah, Kwanzaa and I go way back. We actually worked at Marvel together. Um, he also went on to work at DC before launching his highly successful um, black comic book, which, um, you know, the premise, in case you're not familiar with it, is what if only black people had powers? Interesting premise. Great book. He has had offshoots of that book, um, Black AF, tells sort of these self-contained stories. He has a new one called White. Um, and these are just great independent books. I mean, technically they're not independent because uh, Black Mass Studios puts them out, which is a, another great um, uh, label. But uh, it's great to hear, you know, how much success he's had in finally getting, you know, some of these books out. And there's obviously Hollywood interest. So um, let's hear it from the man himself. This is Kwanzaa. How's it going, Quanta? Going pretty well and stuff. And I apologize for any time you've ever drank. No, we had a great time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we had a great time. Mike's bachelor party was fun. Um, at any and rate. the wedding. Uh, you guys were both at the wedding, right? Yeah, with the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I remember Gosh, drinking more way more at your Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's correct. Yeah, we're not cutting this out, by the way. Um, Kwanzaa, I'm going to ask you the same question we ask everyone first. How did you discover comics? Oh, man. I discovered comics uh, through family association. My like dad read comics. My cousins read comics. So there would always be some lying around like at a relative's house or you know, my dad would just have like a, a random stash of like, you know, Richie Rich, Hot Stuff, <laughs> Casper. And then like, I remember he had some weird giant size X-Men. Um, not the giant size X-Men, but like a large <laughs> size, like, you know, kind of like that, um, that Muhammad Ali Superman size, you know, X-Men comic. I don't remember what it was, but I remember the size of it being a kid being like, oh, they come in gigantic. Um, and I just... Right? Wasn't it I, called like a digest size? Something like so, that, yeah. even though I always thought digests were the smaller ones, but apparently, yeah, like, maybe I'm big, wrong. Yeah. Well, the treasury big ones are tabloid. Those yeah. are tabloid. Treasury edition, tabloid, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely tabloid. It was not, it was not tiny. Um, but I think what really, like, really struck me the first time was I read uh, the collected edition of the Asgardian Wars. And that's when, like, comics solidified in my brain as, like, a, as a regular object, not just like a found thing where you just be like, Oh, this is cool. <laughs> like, I like stumbled upon this. It's like, Oh no, these are everywhere. And I think that's when I really started like seeking them out and started reading, like, you know, like getting them on to buy me like peanuts, Pogo. I loved Pogo when I was a kid. I just bought like a crazy box set 
from I think it was IDW put it out or something like that, or maybe it was like um, uh, Antarctic Press. I don't know who did it. Sorry to whatever publisher put that out. It's great work, but uh, I don't remember the publisher. <laughs> so I'm going to um, skip ahead a little bit to after discovering comics, which is your first comic, you know, career move, I guess. And that was uh, in the early 2000s when we were both at Marvel. Um, you know, we talked to John Roberts, uh, co-founder of Comixology, a few weeks ago. We were all there at the same time. And, you know, even though we all socialized together, I don't think we really had a great handle of what everybody did there. So I'm going to ask you sort of a very general, broad question was, what was your role at Marvel? And, uh, you know, how did it? I know you sort of overlapped with dot comics, but just let me know a little bit more about like what that was like and what you did. Oh my God. That just, I don't know what you did either. Yeah, oh, great. Okay, good. <laughs> what would you say you do here? Yeah. <laughs> right. I do know that we were just all like, we were all fresh out of college. First, like first yep. job hires. And like, that's what bonded us together is being the scrubs. Yes. <laughs> that was the, we were the total um, C team. So I was a production assistant and I was basically thrust into producing web content for uh, the marvel.com website, like literally handed a book and say, hey, kid, learn HTML, which is what I did during my internship, which is what allowed me to get the job. So I did it well. Um, And uh, that did eventually lead to like helping working on dot comics, other like new content that like we had tried to produce you know, that was perhaps a little too early for its time. Had I been around for the Disney stuff, I think I'd, I think I'd be on point. They get it now, but, um, you know, trying to produce like more original content for the web and stuff like that. So that was, that was kind of the gist of it. You know, is that what was just like in front of you and what you were hired for, or were you like, basically I'll do whatever. And that's what you, where um, you landed. Or if you had the choice, I, what, what would you have wanted to do? So that's what was interesting when I got the, when I got the internship, the only opening left wasn't online. And that was kind of like my thought process because it was on my checklist. Like I got like the things I'm going to accomplish in life, I'm going to work at Marvel. And I got the internship and then I realized I really loved it. Like I loved online, but I also during the, I think the winter internship, I did intern editorial for like a, a semester and really clarified that I didn't want to work in editorial. At least not, at least not traditional print. I was just like, no, this kind of sucks ass. So, oh, can I curse on here? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Fuck yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. So, I, I think after getting that taste, I was like, it didn't, it didn't take away my passion for comics, but it definitely, you know, changed my perspective on how the sausage got made. And I went back to online like <laughs> happily. I was like, I'm gonna go back down here where the future is. Bye, guys. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I thought that that's what I wanted to do. I say the same thing to anybody who, you know, I've talked to about working at Marvel is that it's sort of a double-edged sword. Yeah. You have Spider-Man on your business card. You have these props around these people you've heard about, you know, creators and stuff are kind of milling about, but you know, that whole seeing how the sausage is made and kind of the business aspect of, of the comic book company really kind of sours you to the fantasy and the sort of escapism that you were looking for, I think, as a comic fan. 
Definitely. And I think the culture too, like there's definitely an established culture that I saw even after I left and went over to DC that kind of like, you know, hung around that I never quite settled with. Like, and I felt like us, like our group, we had our own culture, you know, that we were developing because we didn't know what the culture was. We we were just there and like all bright eyed and just like, Oh my God. Like I, I just saw like Frank Miller. Yeah. Yeah, and then they were like, uh, I don't think we like this new culture, so you guys go on your way and find your own yeah, <laughs> career yeah. path. I, 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 I could honestly say that I feel like that was part of the decision-making, in all honesty, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, we, oh, all, we all exited around the same time, so there, there was something yeah. to, I think, you know, what we had established that was uh, not jiving <laughs> with what was going You will on. not replace us. Exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, so on to happier, um, you know, career moves, which was Zuda, which yeah. I was sort of played a small little role in as, as one of the contestants, but um, a lot of people didn't know about it, loved it. Um, a lot of people don't know about it and don't know what it was and how it was constructed and how it was managed. So can you give us like an overview of what Zuda was and also how you got involved in it? Okay. So for any of your younger listeners or like people, you know, in and now Zuda was like DC round Robin, but good. So essentially it was a monthly competition where anybody could submit a comic book to win a one year's contract to publish their concept on Zuda.com. And it was a really innovative way to build community, to build fan base, and to also like get new IP. You know, it was really kind of a breakthrough like all on, on all ends because our contracts were online and transparent. Everybody knew how much everybody was making for what they were doing. Um, the competition for for something that was like i don't want to say pre or like early web 2 but you know it was definitely before social media didn't get that like you know web forms bank on it everybody was like crazy supportive like we had actually built features to deal with like trolls and to like negate any sort of bad actors and ended up never actually having to turn any of them on so that was one really interesting thing about Zuda that blew our minds because, you know, we're all cynical. <laughs> we're just like, oh, okay, here they come. But, it, you know, and p- the community kind of policed itself. I think there was one instance where one person out of like, you know, Zuda was in circulation for almost two years that, or maybe three, that got out of pocket. And it was the other like competitors in the community that like pretty much like shut that person down and it ended up... Um, taking their their submission out of the competition because they're like, yeah, I was being a jerk. So it was like really something interesting in terms of like how we see the web working now, you know, it's like if it was Twitter, it would just burn down the building, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was such an interesting like potpourri of not only comics creation, but it was at the sort of formative years of social media too and trying to sort of promote and get you know, eyeballs on your comics and then the contest part of it. It was, um, I thought it was really just, just such a weird, interesting, like experiment. And, 
Um, as you said, you it lasted a couple, what, two to three years? I think so. Yeah. Because I think it took was, us almost two the, years to build it. And then it was like we were around, we were in publication for about three years. Yeah. And were you brought on specifically for this project? Yes. Um, I mean, I don't think I would have come back to comics otherwise. <laughs> I certainly didn't have any like ambitions towards editorial or anything like that or, or writing necessarily then. And when I found out about this job, I was like, oh, wait, what? This is something innovative in the comic space? Like I had, you know, left Marvel and continued working in various, you know, online gigs and stuff like that, just kind of like building up my acumen in the space. And it really felt like something where we could, you know, push the needle. And nobody on the team was afraid of technology, you know? I think yeah. we were probably one of the first people who used Twitter live during a panel, you know, because we know there's people who don't want to get up and go to the mic and ask a question. They're like, well, just tweet it at us, you know, and we'll read it off, you know? And people love that stuff. Now that's just like completely normal. Right. Exactly. And so what happened after, you know, two to three years, I'm just sort of curious, the sort of dissolution of Zuda. Um, do you have any insight as to like why the experiment sort of ended or what DC was doing that they wanted to fold Zuda into? Oh, hundred percent. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it's any secret to anybody who follows the comic book industry that DC is notoriously bad at imprints. <laughs> I, my, the, the hallway leading to my office at DC was a gallery of dead imprints <laughs> that I would walk by every day. I should have known then that they were just telling me how this is going to go. Um, so, you know, w with that kind of like, you know, history in mind, you know, the writing was just kind of always on the wall, I imagine. You know, unless you have like somebody who's really, really high up campaigning something. And even then, you know, we, we also kind of like how Vertigo eventually went the way of the Dodo. But with Zuda in particular, it was after um, it was after Warner Brothers got more involved, you know, when the, when Diane Nelson came in and, and John Rude and all that stuff like that. And then Dan and Jim were the, you know, made the co-publishers. Uh, and I don't think they really understood it, you know, particularly Dan. But that's no surprise. I think people could write whole comic books on things he doesn't understand but you know i think them who had been you know basically our patron saint of comics for zuda um just really wanted to wrap his head around how it could be integrated but i don't think he had the will to like push it forward or really ask us to challenge the norm because you know one of the things that i was asked when they were like reviewing it, they're like, well, why didn't you do any superhero stuff? It's like, because you literally told us not to. Like, that was my response. I was like, you, you, you guys make superheroes. Why would we make the same stuff you're making? Like, we were told to make webcomics. Like, if you want us to make Batman, sure, let me play with those toys. And I think that's when I heard, like, Dan's butthole clint. So, you know, it was really, like, one of those things where it's like, I knew at that point, walking out of there, I was like, we can try our hardest to, like, save this thing, but they're going to kill it, you know? And, you know, they did and, but, you know, they still liked what we were doing. So they wanted to figure out how to fold that in. So I ended up going out to Burbank when they did that first transfer wave, you know, that helped kind of like spearhead their digital comics program, you know? So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about that. Like, what was that experience like for you? And, you know, were, were you guys trying to compete with comiXology? Because that was, you know, like, that was or it has been more or less the digital platform of choice, dare I say. Uh, I mean, I know Marvel has its thing and DC has its own 
um, online service now, but I mean, kind of Comixology has everything. Yeah, um, definitely not. My my goal was to push the medium forward in a space that didn't have to worry about things like you know paper printing logistics and stuff like that. So for me, it was really kind of trying to you know play both sides so that I so that digital could win. And that's when, you know, we came up with like the half page format that became DC Digital Comics for a while that was pretty, you know, intuitive. You know, there's, a, there's a half page, you know, you do the top half of a page and now you've got like a vertical, you know, panel that you can view on the web instead of trying to put, you know, a horizontal panel you can view on the web instead of trying to put a vertical one, you know, mm-hmm. on a screen that's horizontal. Um, so, you know, like it was little wins like that that felt like felt good. So we did like, you know, Smallville was one of the books that I edited. I really, you know, had pushed for us to do. Which was you know, really fun, by the way. Sorry, I just want to tell you, Smallville was oh, one of those few that I, I just really enjoyed. That was great. Yeah, you know, and and we still had some wiggle room and stuff like that because we weren't quite on, like, you know, editorial, print editorials radar. So, you know, I got to, you know, work with the artist to design a Superman costume that didn't look ridiculous. I've never been a fan of Red Trump guys. Sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. Not a red trench guy. There's, there's there's lots of ways to color block a, a blue jumpsuit, and it doesn't have to be red underpants. Um, but you know, I, I felt pretty proud that we got to take that character from like that final season eleven and do like a sort of season twelve and thirteen, and that sort of set the precedent for what they were going to do, you know, going forward. Because I definitely thought you know Batman sixty six was something we should do, and they did it. And I wanted you know, I, I also edited Scooby Doo, which I loathed doing, and I was just like, well, why don't we do like old school Scooby-Doo stuff, like where he's always paired with like, you know, somebody fun. Like let's do Batman and Mm Scooby-Doo. Let's do Phyllis Diller. Nobody will know who that is, but you know, and then, you know, that, that came about, but I was gone by then. So. That's cool. What is your take on the, uh, the DC kind of universe app at this point? The app itself. I mean, I have it on my phone and I never use it. And I think mostly it's because, you know, DC's, DC and comic publishing in general, they just aren't innovators. They're always late to the game and they don't think about things in terms of like real support. So it's like, you'll see them play for a little bit, like with the Marvel infinite comics or like DC, you know, doing like the, you know, the DC digital format, but really like all they ever end up doing is like the the easiest route. So now you've got like DC going and putting their stuff on webtoons, which I think is kind of, good in some respect because webtoons has a huge audience but it's also a loss it's like you can't do this yourself like you're literally part of warner brothers like just make these comics on your freaking app like and then you will maybe pull over that audience you own batman and wonder woman and you've been doing great with the uh ya books so it's like put that stuff over there but do it for the phone that's all none of this is rocket science you know and it's it's one of those things that I always find like frustrating because like here we are like I haven't been at that company for ten years I think or more at this point and it's like and you still haven't really advanced forward you know there's nothing's really pushed the envelope and it's always you know it's always the attempt you know like now they're getting in the NFTs and stuff like that but you know it doesn't really doesn't really ever hit and it's like I feel like it's because nobody inside is ever really invested in where they're going in those terms yeah like, they would, understand I... they understand publishing. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because um, it, you know, at being a DC fan, I, you just 
you know, from a fan point of view, I think we could see the fact that Warner Brothers or whatever parent company owns them at this point, or at that point, I should say, didn't really understand the value of what they had. Now, apparently, with this Discovery Warner Brothers merger, I think it sounds like they're starting to kind of set the groundwork for a kind of MCU or Marvel type. When I say Marvel type, you know, a department or a a part of their business that is going to kind of restructure and kind of build the value of DC once again. So I mean, I good luck to them. It's like, it's, it's, it's been an interesting thing to like, you know, work in my career and kind of see again, how the sausage is made mm-hmm. and just wonder like when you're like a large company like that, that wants to be competitive and you have Disney right across the road from you. Disney does not play. Disney crushes with their IP. Like I didn't understand. They print it their own money. They don't. <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand it until I'd never gone to Disney World or Land or anything as a kid and stuff like that. So when I was out in LA, the first time I went to Disneyland, I swear it's like a little mouth shaped light bulb popped up over my head because that's when it finally clicked to me what Disney was, and I was just like, these guys are like the monsters. Like no detail goes missed, man. Like I saw the best fireworks show ate the best pretzel, ate a turkey leg, got on a roller coaster that I thought was a kid's one that made me scream like a child. It's like, and then I took a rest on a bench and then looked down and realized the bench was shaped like Mickey Mouse's head. Come on, people. Like, they just don't miss. Like, Star Wars is in great hands. Marvel's in great hands. Like, they just, they're like, we leave no money on this table. All the, all the money. They're very practiced in yeah. how to develop their properties Absolutely. just and when they had disney and now they have you know all these other have everything. fiefdoms which it's funny to call like marvel or star wars a fiefdom but um that's you know they just apply all of the lessons that they learned over you know decades and just be like yeah we know what to do with this we've done it before right you know? and even when they hit like a sort of a lull they'll they'll either acquire or adapt you know so it's like oh we acquired pixar so now we got some of that magic back but then, like, I've watched some of their animated stuff on Disney Plus. Like, I don't know, have you guys seen that Chip and Dale cartoon? It's awesome. Yeah. There <laughs> was a period there where the Disney stuff was like a little lackluster right. compared to Pixar, but then they got their their stuff together and really kind of they it's good. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like, so hopefully, you know, that'll that'll come with you know Warner because it's there. I mean, Warner Animation they crush. They, yes. they do nothing but produce gold. Like yeah. they get the characters, they have fun with them. It's completely incoherent. It's like it's not a shared universe, and it works. You know, like every time they put something out, like I'm ready to watch it, and I didn't have to watch another one to enjoy it. You know, so it's like if if that's the direction they want to go, I don't know. Give it to one of give it to one animation. Say yeah. do this thing, but with people, real people. Yeah. Give it to Bruce Tim and Paul Dini. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway. So after years uh, and years of helping other creators um, and support other creators' visions uh, in getting their work out there, specifically online, you sort of finally, um, you've been doing, I think, you've been doing your own sort of creations on the side, but really hit the big time with Black, right? Yeah, I and, guess I mean- 
Yeah. I mean, you, you, you tell me if I'm, if I'm, I'm misrepresenting, you know, how you thought it was going, but in terms of the way your career is portrayed on, on your site and stuff, it's sort of like you, you, you worked at a lot of these companies and maybe this, these ideas were sort of percolating and, you know, you were doing a few things on the side, but black was really where things crystallized and, and became, you know, really yeah. successful for you. I mean, I, I will always love comics. Like that's just in my like DNA, like seriously, like, like I, I expect any of my descendants to love comics. That's how deeply rooted it, it is in me. Damn um, right. <laughs> so when I, you know, so when I, I left DC, like I didn't really have a desire to go to like another publisher or anything like that. I just, you know, I thought like, well, I, I want to, I want to make comics. And I've always like had ideas rumbling around exactly uh, my partner who, you know, said, okay, I keep hearing all these ideas. They all sound great. Just pick one. Like that was literally, it's just like, they all sound great, but pick one and do one. And and that was kind of the thing that got me off of my, off of my ass because black was an idea I'd come up with like 10 years prior to when we did the Kickstarter for it. And it just felt like the right thing to do. You know, it felt like the one that like stuck out the most in my head and, you know, the concept of it. What if only black people had superpowers? I was like, I should do this before someone else does. <laughs> at least like you know bare minimum and you know times have changed you know since you know we had you know gotten into marvel and dc and stuff like that and you know platforms like kickstarter emerged where you could do crowdfunding and stuff like that and you know it really was something that i saw as like a, a, a an equalizer and you know something that didn't require a gatekeeper you know or somebody to like validate the idea it was going to be validated by the public and i was completely ready for it to fail I think I really was. I was like, no, this is a great, I, I honestly saw it as a really great litmus test for the idea. It's like, maybe this is stupid. I don't know. You know? So we put it together said, you know, okay, we need about $30,000 to do this, you know, six issue or, you know, 200 page series or whatever. And it blew up. Like we hit our goal in like three days. <laughs> and this is back when Kickstarter app had alerts on it and stuff like that and i'm like just walking around <laughs> and it's just pinging constantly for three days straight because just every time somebody like like you know like you know bought a reward and stuff like that it was just like ringing um so it was pretty wild too because it's like in the first the first day we launched it we had like a, a movie offer um which was wild because i didn't have like a lawyer or a manager or any of that stuff yeah, like at all. I was like, I didn't even have a comic yet. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I just put up a Kickstarter. Slow down, people. Um, so you know, it was it was really it was really cool to like you know like have people respond to it so well. You know, and it's just kind of been a bit of a roller coaster since then. Yeah, I mean that had to be validating, right? I mean, you're putting this up just to see, almost as a proof of concept, and you get. You know, someone from <laughs> some film person contacting you within the first few days, like, yeah, I think that concept is probably pretty solid at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in all the news coverage and stuff too, it was just wild. You know, it's like doing interviews <laughs> for the next, like, you know, month and a half and stuff like that, almost like every day. Just it, it was, it was a pretty interesting moment in time. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. I was sort of watching from the outside, being like, yeah, Kwanzaa, you did it. You made it. <laughs> um, so let's go back to the origins of the actual story in the comic. Like you, you co co-created uh, Black with Tim Smith, right? 
Yeah. Um, talk about talk a little bit about that. How you guys, you know, toss the ideas back and forth. What roles did you play? Because it, it's not like just a, um, you know, writer and artist. I mean, he's more of a designer. Um, yeah. And you guys have worked before together. Uh, but yeah, talk a little bit about that collaboration. Yeah, so Tim was actually one of the people I met when I worked in editorial at Marvel and stuff like that. And he was one of the only people who was nice to me. So I remember that kind of stuff, by the way. <laughs> but uh, I had run into him at a Mocha festival and I was looking through his art and it really struck me like he had such a different aesthetic approach to designing characters that wasn't, it was, you know, it had anime influences, but it also had influences of different cultures. So there was like, you know, different textures, different like shapes, like just a completely different silhouette to the way he designed characters. And that just struck me because as I was thinking of the idea of Black, you know, I didn't want the characters to look like, you know, leotard and cake superheroes. That wasn't, you know, for like concept like this, that wasn't going to work. I wanted it to feel like something that, you know, came from like our culture, you know, and our shared backgrounds and like histories and stuff like that. So, you know, I approached him, told him about the concept. We started, like, working on stuff. And then, you know, I was working at DC. He was working at Marvel. We didn't do anything. But when it came time to do the Kickstarter again, like, I had approached him. like, hey, remember that thing I approached you about way back? I was like, let's do it again. And, like, let's actually do it, you know, and put it out there. And he was, he was, he was up for it, you know. So we just started going back and forth and designing characters. I would tell, you know, I would write these, like, character you know, write-ups and stuff like that, send them to him, like, like send them mood boards and stuff. I love doing a mood board for a character. <laughs> here's, here's all the elements that, like, kind of make them up and inspirations and stuff, and, like, actors and, like, fabrics and all that stuff. It's kind of, like, just, like, my method. And, you know, he understood my influences, too, and we just, you know, came up with, like, a cast of characters, maybe, maybe too many. <laughs> Do you have a... Another one percolating that you think you want to uh, try again? Uh, too many. Like it's, it's like so many. Like it's it's it. I'm gonna have to like I don't know. Like have someone leaf through my like book of ideas and say like, all right, which, which one universe you building? To you? Just build a universe. Uh, definitely, definitely. I mean, like I all all of my influences are really like I, I love american comics but i have a very strong influence in like manga that dates that goes back almost as far mm-hmm. where i just really love how deep they're able to go into like characters and how they're just telling more of a tapestry story you know there's no real breaks in anything in manga you know like right. it's just it's, it's one long story that like the characters are growing and changing through and there are some conclusions and like they're there's, you know, there might be like a bit of a time jump here or there or, or what have you, but it's it's a long story that gets you really invested, you know, and and I love that kind of stuff. And I, I want to produce something like that soon, you know, or next. I just have to, you know, figure out when I'm going to have the time to like <laughs> do something like Naruto or Dragon Ball or whatever. But, you know, I, I, I like the idea of doing something like that or at least doing something for American problems that's, that's close to that, you know where it's like you really take time to build the characters and it's not about like the fight of the you know month. It's more about like, hey, this is like a lot of build up. They they finally like the villain and the and the hero finally like 
just saw each other in FP24. <laughs> it's like 50 issues later, and now, like, you know, they're in conflict 25 issues later. Oh, now they're fighting. Mm-hmm. And then for 50 issues, they fight. <laughs> Let me let me ask you something. As a comic book fan, and as someone who has produced comics, and as someone who's worked for both DC and Marvel, what's your opinion of the comic book world now? When I say world, I mean the state of comics and, you know, kind of storylines and characters and, and things of that nature. Um. I think there's I think there's been some some good progress in in spaces, but I do think that like the American comics industry is still held back by this sort of these sort of predictings and stuff like that and and a, and a sense of like what worked because there's it's so proven you know you're basically printing advertising that's, yeah. that's what a floppy is you know and people buy it like you know it's just like imagine somebody buying a Coca Cola ad <laughs> that's that 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 that's what a Spider Man issue is to me. But, you know, there's there's still a lot of creativity and great stories coming out of it. But I feel like they just aren't having oddly the impact that like you know, the MCU movies are where it's like you're obviously able to tell these stories that are interconnected and have people get invested in them. So how is it that the original medium that inspired it not not resonating on a greater scale, you know? And I think that's often been like the sort of thing that's like gotten into people's craw and they're just like, oh, the movies don't mean increased sales of books. And I was just like, okay, so then maybe you need to reevaluate what you're doing because the movies are doing great. <laughs> they're doing their job, you know? So I don't, you know, you got to kind of like, you know, take some time for reflection. And for me, you know, it's really looking at it and thinking like, if someone who grew up as a comic book fan and now makes comic books, to be frank, there's not a lot that I'd buy, you know, like, and I wouldn't buy like certain physical comics anymore. One, cause you know, I don't have room for them anymore. My days of long boxes are long gone, but you know, it's a, you know, we, we, we live in a, we live in a different time and a different, different era and stuff like that. And there's all different ways to like, you know, get this fixed. And it's sort of like, how is this not in, in these new spaces in a real and competitive way? So, I mean, it's it's a it's a leading statement because you know I'm just going for digital. <laughs> That's my whole life feel. It's just like it's like why isn't this as e- easily accessible as like you know someone's Instagram feed? You know, right? Yeah, I I I think about that too, and um, you know your your reference to manga and sort of this long storyline. I mean that that lends itself much more to online and digital than, you know, physical anyway, because you're taught, I mean, I know they they've done it so well and, you know, in sort of black and white and these, again, these I'm using it the right way this time digest versions, but um, you know, you think if you have this ongoing storyline and you can do it in sort of a serial fashion and get it out there, it would probably be best to do it through digital means and, um, and sort of not, take up the space of sort of physical uh, books. Uh, would you think if you did one of these manga concepts that you do it all digital? I think I would, but even there, I don't know if there's necessarily a platform for it. Like I just haven't seen the platform that's really spoken to me. Like webtoons has a very specific kind of audience. And unless I'm doing like, you know, a romance kind of book or something that leans itself very towards like, you know, Korean manual reader sensibilities, 
like there's no point in putting it on there you know we, we've seen people we've seen webtoon try to do american comics on there and it's always just kind of like eh, you know they probably get more views than they would get readers but it doesn't kind of hit you know tapa is the same thing like there's just not been anything that's really like been able to deliver you know these great these great characters these epic stories i mean it's like how do you how do you not sell batman and spider-man in all formats you know because you can like the toys the toys go the video games go like all of these other mediums seem able to translate it but this one storytelling vehicle just seems to like not kind of like hit and all of the all of the pieces are there that's what that's that's what it is to me it's like so it, it's a weird thing to say that like i'd want to do that but i think i'd probably end up building like my own sort of like way of reading it online which isn't really like too difficult to do but you know that's also it's difficult enough that i haven't done it <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like oh i'm gonna go build a platform <laughs> right hey you know goals right yeah exactly. um, so black has been option for a movie um yes. speaking of you know the hollywood industrial complex um what can you tell us about uh, what's going on with that? And what do you hope to see out of a black movie? Um, so, yeah, it's been optioned with Warner Brothers because, you know, you get out, they bring you back in. <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very happy it's, it's, it's with them. Um, our, we have a director and writer, Gerard McMurray, who I'm so excited by his vision for it. Um, it's just one of those things that, like, it blew me away just in his like concept pitch for it. You know, he didn't even, he didn't even write so much as like visually like showed what he wanted to do. And it was just something that I felt really respected the source material, but also did it in a way that made it into a feature film. Cause I'm a very big fan of like Kubrick and like what he did with the signing like that, that to me is like how you adapt something where it's just like, it's, despite Stephen King, like feelings about say, it. Like, don't say, don't tell Stephen King. <laughs> but I really felt like it was something that distilled down a very dense book and concept into something that really struck at the core of what was going on in that story, you know? And I've, and I've always been open to that happening with black. I'm like, yeah, don't make this comic into a film. That will be a horrible film. Like we've seen it. It's called Watchmen. So it's like, <laughs> like, <laughs> And, and I mean, that's a, it's a weird thing, but I, it, it's almost something that makes me love the Watchmen film is because it's so textbook and it doesn't work. And it literally proves Alan Moore, right? <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's one of those things like that. That's what I hope to see. I hope to see black as a film, not as, you know, necessarily an adaptation. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting um, how much more successful the Watchmen show was just oh by God. using the kernels Mm-hmm. of what was in the book and using sort of the same, you know, themes and, and, and sort of tone uh, than the, what someone would call an absolutely faithful, you know, recreation of the comic book uh, that right. the movie was. Um, I just, I'm curious whether, you know, I know you sort of were, you're being optioned for a film, um, but since there are so many different ways of, of getting the story out onto, you know, a, a screened medium, 
Uh, did you, are, are you in all sort of reticent that it wasn't something that might become a like mini series or a, or, or a show? Um, uh, I know, you know, movies are still the gold standard, but at the same time, you know, a lot of other people like sort of the longer format for, for lack of a better term. It, it, it came up quite often, you know, and there were some very notable people who, wanted to do it one way or wanted to do it, uh, you know, another. And you know, there were many times where it's like somebody's, somebody's celebrity was enough to, for me to say like, let them do whatever they want. <laughs> you know? um, sure. But to, to be honest, I, I think that, you know, a concept like black, you know, and, and we've seen this with all sorts of mediums. It's like, it can be a film and then be a TV show, you know, can right. spin out of it, you That's know. True. So it's like it doesn't have to be one thing or the other. It can there can be like animations. I mean, when you look at like how people are going back to IP these days, I mean, we've got like a fourth Matrix movie that nobody needed, but then like we've got this great Blade Runner animated series. I've been watching like this Pacific Rim animated series that was, you know, you know, it's it's fun, but it's like you know, it's people are realizing that they can explore these concepts in ways that like, hey, maybe the film didn't quite hit the nail on the head there. Maybe we'll do something fun over here that explores another aspect of it, you know? So I think I think there's an option to do all of those things, you know? Who knows? Maybe maybe it won't be a great film, but somebody will be inspired and be like, I think I can make a dope video game out of that. And it becomes like the best freaking video game in the world. I mean, you know? I concur. Um, I want to discuss, um, you worked with someone or you have been connected to uh, someone that we have interviewed, uh, Mark Wade. Yes. Go into that. Cause I want to hear what that experience is like. So I was contacted by, um, humanoids, which is, you know, one of the premier publishers in France. And as someone who's, a you know, uh, something of a Francophile these days, uh, it, it was definitely something I was interested in. I, I love Paris. I love, you know, European comics and like their whole approach to it. Um, so when Humanoids came a call and I was just like, what do you want? And they were launching a new comic book universe. They wanted to get into the U.S. market, you know, and um, I was eager to hear like what they were thinking. And so, you know, they wanted me to be a sort of creative architect sort of design a universe for them with characters and rules and settings like i mean come on like that, that's that's if, if anyone has an ego in the world <laughs> you just be like oh yeah i'd love, I'd love to do that. and it was a great opportunity to try and bring some of those european sensibilities into american comic books you know and and that's definitely what you know we were aiming for um, but also with a little bit of my style which would be a bit more sensationalistic a bit more topical and stuff like that which, you know, is honestly just going back to comics roots. Um, so, you know, we had a, you know, a couple of other people that I worked with. And then as we were moving forward with the universe, we were like, okay, well, who are we going to bring in? And they were already talking to Mark Wade about coming in as like, you know, a, a, another grand designer. And I was like, well, shit. it's like, look, I, you know, came up with these ideas and these characters and these concepts that I could probably write the flagship book, but then let me do it with Mark Wade, you know, because he's definitely better at this than I am. <laughs> you, know, you know, he he's one of the great, greater writers of our time and stuff like that. And I just thought that, that would be a really great way to like launch the flagship book. 
And it was such an amazing experience to just sort of like watch them work, you know, and kind of like learn from somebody who, you know, where, where I overthink everything and like struggle with every word and like, you know, worry like for him, he can just like, you know, go through it and see, you know, where the pitfalls are, where something needs to be like brushed up and stuff like that. And really just, you know, always deliver, you know, a, a quality story. And it was, it was definitely a, a learning experience. It's it, in our experience from talking to him, he has, it seems like at some point in his career or life, he has had all these discussions internally. So whenever someone asks him a question about whatever, he's got the answer. And it's just a very matter of fact. And well, that's it. I mean, you know, like, you know, whatever you guys were discussing, I'm sure when it, when it came to, you know, building, you know, your your world there uh, for that comic. And he's just you know, dictating or this is, this is it. This is what's going to do. And you, okay. Yeah, just you know, it up as I go along. yeah, no, I mean, it's not like he's searching for these words or searching for something. This is it here. Go, yeah. you know, and uh, that just, it's, you know, having talked to him and I'm sure you may have felt the same way. It just seems like it's wow. Like a real breath of fresh air to talk to someone who just got all his ducks in a, in a row mentally like that. You know, it's, it's uh cool. Plus, yeah. you know, he told us he's the number one Superman fan. So, oh, I think Jamal Igo would fight him for that, man. I don't know. <laughs> well, he um, put me in my place, that's for sure. Yeah, Joe was going to fight yeah. him too. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be like, a, <laughs> and that was the other thing. He goes, he was like, yeah, no, it's me. I'm the number. I'm okay. Sure. Yep. I would, I would, I would definitely watch that. I think I watched them on HBO. They had like a Harry Potter game show, and I was like, oh man, it's like, you guys need to do that for comic nerds, man. Oh my god! Like, come on, that would just be awesome. Like you yes. could just have people like try to win prize money for who's the biggest dork. Like I'd go a couple rounds. Like I'd probably lose, but I know a lot of people out there who would like be Jeopardy level winners. You know? Oh my god, you'd have to go into such minutia to get exactly. the winner because I, I'd imagine there are so many. Com- I mean, that's why you're into comics, sort of, right? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. love the stories and you love the characters, but you love the details. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Absolutely. People start pulling these. Who? Oh shit! Uh, Mitch Halleck. When we were talking to him, he was, you know, the guy who created Terrific Con. He's talking to us about some just random issue of like Spider Man, and he's talking about who the uh, maybe letterer. who is letterer. Yeah. The letterer of issue two seventy eight or whatever, and he pulls the name out of his out of his head. He's like, "Oh no 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 wait, it's this person because the other person was on the next issue." I'm like, "What the fuck?" You know. Yeah. So yeah, if you have it, you have a, a game show like that. You gotta like the questions are gonna be like, "Well, what was the first thing that Lex Luthor ate in panel thirteen of that issue number four? <laughs> Somebody knows that man. And I, ham and I, eggs. I, no. Ham, egg, and cheese. Oh shit! You know, <laughs> I think I would have been on my. I think I would have been on my game like maybe like fifteen years ago. I, I might have been competitive and stuff like that. I definitely <laughs> had an ex- an encyclopedic knowledge of the Marvel universe, the Marvel handbook. I had all volumes of that, and I knew every. You could you could flashcard me any Marvel character, and I would know who they are. I don't know if I could do it anymore, but. I, I used I used to have that glow. No, <laughs> oh, I know it's you know it's one of those powers that we wish we can use for the forces of good somehow in our career. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is pretty useless. Um, I, I have to say, I, as much as I love it and I love to hear when people can, you know, produce these names and details, I was like, it, it really, there, there's not much. Yeah. Our wives can't go to, to movies it in, with in us. Life. Anyway, uh, so are you doing more with uh, the, the world of Ignited and, and Humanoids? Uh, no, I kind of stepped away from it because one thing, like, even though, like, we're talking about projects, stuff like that, like, monthly comics, just, I can't do it. <laughs> I just really, I just really realized that's not something. I'm like, I'm like someone who just likes to write it all and then let it go, like, in spurts, you know? And just the idea and getting into, like, the, getting into, the, like, routine of that, like, it just didn't suit me. Like, I actually stepped away from Ignited early. Like, I was supposed yeah. to go to issue 16, and I was just like... I'm tapping out. I can't like, I can't deliver, I can't deliver it in the time frame that I, that it deserved, you know? So it's just right. like, I'm just going to stop here. I, I, I had a, had a, had a good enough run. I'm okay. You know, I got, I got the baby out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's out into the world. It'll yeah. find its way. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, and I think that's the reason why I've never like, you know, even bothered or, to try to, you know, do anything with any publishers is just not something I have an appetite for, especially knowing how comic books work and like, you know, the, the changes that can happen on a dime. Like I'm just not, I, I think, I think I'm too old to listen to somebody tell me that I need to change something in a story, like at the like 11th hour on the whim of some like big architectural change. Like to me, I'd just be like, you, you can just set that on fire then. Like that's literally, that would literally be my response. Like, well then burn it. <laughs> like send me my check and find somebody else. Like I'm not, I'm not rewriting this whole thing tonight to send to you tomorrow. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. just... I mean, that's the true indie spirit. It sounds like you're, <laughs> you know, you got, you got to be your own boss. I mean, that's, that's yeah, where the, the freedom comes from. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that like, I wouldn't do something that's like, you know, now that, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like it's not to say that I wouldn't do a limited series or something like that. Like if they, if Marvel was ever open to the idea of like you know doing like those like little power pack digests again, I'd do that. You know, because it it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't impact anything in the bigger scheme of things. Perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so, so in that vein, because we have some questions around it, are you open for a quick lightning round? Let's go. All right. Here we go. Um, what are your desert island books or storylines? If you had to pick like one or two. Comic books? Yeah. Okay. Oh man. Desert Island. I know Island. it's hard to uh nail it down. Um You're gonna be stuck here for, you know, a few months to a year. <laughs> I'm gonna be rereading this over and over. The recent one then I would say House of X. Okay. Because really? okay. I really, I really liked how transformative that was on a concept that was just kind of felt like it just was running over like rough, <laughs> like cobblestones for a long time that I, I think everybody loved. And it was, I love to see the evolution of an idea. So, you know, I was a big fan of Dan Slott's like Superior Spider Man run. I was like, finally, Peter's not a bum. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> let's go. Like, this was getting stale. Um, and let's see, something, something. I think something classic. Let me think of something classic that I that I would really uh, George Perez's uh, Teen Titans, but like the collected edition of like those first like 
six to twelve issues, man. Because yeah. that was one of the, that was something that I read as a kid that I literally read the spine off of that thing. Like I read it so many times. Like it's just it's just one of my favorite runs in a comic book. Classic. Yes. Um, okay. So in order to keep it a lightning round, I can't comment on everything, uh, but uh, what character or book would you like to work on if you had, if you were given the chance to take over any book that exists already? Uh, well, I already said power pack, but that doesn't exist. So I think I've always been, a, no, I'm not going to say power. And, and all, everybody knows, anybody who knows me knows that's the answer and stuff like that. So, I, I, and it's also my best defense for never working at Marvel because they're never going to want to do that. Um, <laughs> I think I would really love to write The Flash because I've been a fan of it since I was a kid. Um, I loathe Barry Allen as a character and I've just always wanted to like just play in that world and the concept of like, like well, no, who really is the fastest man alive? Because the last time I checked, there's like 80 of you speedy spins of guns running around in this universe so uh, i i'd probably want to do something like that like well maybe he has to he has to solve the murder of all the other speedsters <laughs> like that's the crime scene. they're all dead you, yeah you are the fastest man alive now are you fast enough to solve this crime <laughs> you know kind of deal you know, it was your friend Wade that we uh, pressed on, on this issue because he introduced so many of the other speedsters during his run, mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, as sort of supporting characters. But yeah, it's gotten probably a little out of control at this point. But I have to admit, the way he did it was just so freaking entertaining that I actually oh, didn't mind. But I, I was talking about, like, I was reading the, pre, the pre-crisis Flash. Ah, right, right. I, like, I, I read that growing up, uh, I, and it was funny because, like, I always hated whenever it was Barry Allen, like when he changed it to flash, it was like, all right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> when he was was like, Oh God, this guy with the bow tie. Yeah. Barry Allen's kind of boring. It's like Bruce Wayne. Whenever you see Bruce Wayne, you're like, eh. yeah, <laughs> this guy, this guy, this rich guy, we have, we have a few of them out here in the world. So it's like, <laughs> it's not much of the fantasy there. Um, all right. Favorite artist, favorite writer. Cool. Uh, favorite artist, I think, man, that, that's a, that's a hard one, man. There's a, there's a lot of people I really like. Well, favorite writer is, I, I really think Christopher Priest is probably my favorite writer. Uh, I loved what he did with Black Panther, but I also love Quantum and Woody. And I also love that he's kind of a begrudging writer who always like delivers fantastic stuff. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. I, you could put him on something that he doesn't like and he will deliver like the best thing ever. <laughs> and it's just like, there, there's something, there, there's something that speaks to his talent there. I think for art, um, man, I, I really, my, my mind immediately goes to Alan Davis because I always just love the, like, like not a lot of artists have the ability to actually draw people who look different and aren't all the same like Adonis like supermodels and even though he drew those same figures like he understood that people had different shaped noses you know different jaw lines different head shapes and stuff like that so during his Excalibur run I was just like this is great like you can tell all these characters apart even like you know if they were all like blue like Smurf you know 
like he, they just have distinct looks to them. So I've always admired like his attention to that detail in particular, you know, and everybody, even though they were muscular, everybody wasn't like real thin either. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. You're, you're right. So many, as I'm conjuring up artists in my own head, I'm like, yeah, you know what? The, the, the women basically all look the same. They're just different haircuts and, you know, yeah, Clothing. if you go back and look at that run and look at the difference in the shapes between Megan, Rachel, and Kitty Pride, they're very distinct. He's not even drawing like the same like leg length, hip like you know, test like they're shaped how they're shaped like right. people, you know. Um, so I, I always admired that about the art, you know. All right. Um... You can only read the adventures of one character and we'll put a side power pack for now. Uh, for the rest of your life, who is it? In that case, I was going to say power pack. But... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can take one of the power pack characters, but I, nah, I'm not going to I'm going to put them to the side because you've no, already mentioned them too, too many that's times. That's totally fair. Rocket Raccoon. Interesting. Because I was also an old school Rocket Raccoon fan when I was a kid and I just love the fact that Marvel has made one of the characters that if I had told you I liked that character when I was a kid you'd be like stupid like no there's no such thing as a rocket raccoon and I'd bring up my four issue limited series <laughs> you know it's just like it's just one of those characters that I'm happy to see other people enjoy even though you know it's not exactly the original version but I'll take it rocket raccoon solid Solid answer there. All right. Recommend something you haven't worked on or you off the top of your head, rather. Obviously, you, most of it you haven't worked on, but uh, that you admire that you'd like to see have a bigger audience. Oh, man. Um, I'm kind of slacking keeping up with some of my uh, reading and stuff like that. Um, you can go back to something old that hasn't received a lot of attention. Uh, no, I mean, like the, the, the anime just came out. So I know people are going to start paying attention to it now. But if you haven't read Spy X Family, it's a great manga that I've been reading for like the past couple of years. And like, it's just, it's, it's insanely delightful. It's all about this spy who has to get an adopted daughter and a wife. But the adopted daughter is a telepath. He doesn't know it. And the wife is an assassin and he doesn't know it. None of them know that each other has special abilities, except for the little telepath daughter. She knows everything, but it, it, it's, it's, it's delightful. Awesome. And last question. What is one comic book or comic book related item that you will never throw out, even if your wife insists you do? <laughs> <laughs> or spouse, I guess. Oh. Uh, that would be another manga uh, that I like, uh, Flowers of Evil. Um, the, the writer of that book just, I, I, I highly recommend reading like his work, his, his book, Happiness, um, Flowers of Evil. He has this ability to like, just truly disturb you as a reader, you know, but with things that like feel mundane and small and then always just take these awful turns. So I don't know. I think it would appeal to somebody. I don't like SVU and all that stuff like that, but there's some element of it in in his work, but that isn't like, you know, serial and like purpose. Like, I, and it's not even like that. I can't, 
I can't describe it. I, but yeah, that's the that's a book I would never give up. I'd be like, no, I, I'm keeping this because it's just too good. Like it's awesome. the kind of thing where if like somebody came over and they were just like, oh, what's this? I'd be like, read this. And then you probably say, why did? <laughs> yeah, but then you'd also probably say, why did you make me read that? I, I feel so upset now. Yeah. <laughs> and yet at the same time, concerned for these characters. <laughs> it's like, what did I just deal with? Like you'll have gone through something emotional by the time you're done with it. It'll be like, I feel, I feel different. <laughs> this uh, reminds me of uh, when I first saw Requiem for a Dream. Uh, yeah, it's is, like that. That's what it's like. <laughs> like you don't want to go see it again, but it was amazing. Um, and yeah. Yeah, those, Same two, sort those, of are two, those are two films that I bought in DVD, but I never unwrapped them because I realized I'd never want to watch them again. It was that and uh, Dancer in the Dark. Uh, so I was like, no, nope, yes. I don't need to go through that. I don't think I've seen again. either of them again, even though I recognize both of them as soon as you say it, it's like amazing films. I honestly think Dancer in the Dark is probably the best like test to see if someone's a sociopath. Because <laughs> if you don't cry at a certain part in that movie, like you, like I would look at the person that I'm next to and just be like, yeah, so maybe you're a psycho. <laughs> sort of like that. that. That's that's the Iron Giant test with me. Yeah, that's an, that's. Good. that's it, good. Am, I, that's am good. I the only one who cries at that? <laughs> oh no no! I, I, <laughs> no, I love that movie. No. I yeah, only end, recently like, saw that movie. Happen. I know exactly. I've seen it so many times, and then I'm like, <laughs> certain movies just certain movies just have that trigger for you, you know? Exactly. It's just like, I only but, saw uh, that yeah. when my kids were born. Iron Giant. I only made it halfway through with uh, with Penelope, but uh, I'm going to give it another chance because she was she was getting a little concerned with all the guns and stuff about halfway yeah, through the army. Does, yeah, it does take it. It takes a turn. I, I, it's a it's it's a it's an interesting movie because it's obviously for a younger audience, but it 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 goes it goes in. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't like it's not frozen, yeah. dude. But it's a good <laughs> it's not like the two D animation was fantastic. Oh yeah, it's oh. an amazing film, man. I mean, I would say the last good two D animated movie. Yeah, that was Brad Bird, right? Yeah, he did like yes. the Incredibles and stuff like that. Incredibles, yeah. great movie. Second one, not so much. But it was good. It was it was okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that is the end of the lightning round. That is the end of the interview. Uh, Quanta, right. thank you so much for being on the show. And we're back. Well, this was a fun interview. Uh, having the opportunity to hang out with Quans in the past, I got to hear uh, some really great, interesting stories about him. And I already I knew back then he was a very interesting person. Uh, and having the opportunity to interview him and really dig into his career and hear about, you know, his story and how he's gotten to where he is now, just so interesting. Um, it really, you know, it, it, it makes us feel good because we makes you think like, wow, there's hope for us because you just stick to it and you'll, you will be successful at something. Yeah. This is a, a Mike and Joe show and uh you guys did a wonderful job uh, i really love this interview uh i'm sorry i missed it and it sounds like there's so many great things happening in uh, this guy's future and i can't wait to see what happens yeah thank you uh to you joe uh thanks to orin being there in spirit thank you to kwanzaa 
for um, joining us and giving a little bit of his time to talk to us about his creations and, you know, his, his career, comics career up to this point. Um, we'd love to have him on again. You know, we might do a, uh, you know, little mini Marvel reunion at some point. Um, but uh, for now, that'll do it. So thank you guys for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we will see you next time. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Oren Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all of the socials at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram, at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollar Bin Banter group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing, T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S.com. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.